Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast, where we will cover all things about sales engineering, customer success, and best practices in the tech ecosystem. Recorded live outside of Boston, MA, here's your host, Gary Sloper. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Solutions for Customers podcast. I'm your host, Gary Sloper, and that song is by the band Casino Sunday. Check them out on Bandcamp or iTunes. Uh, they're based out of New Jersey. Good group. So welcome today uh, to our next episode. I, I appreciate everybody joining. Uh, there's been a lot of things going on in, in the industry. One of one of the, I'd say, newer items that came out this week, we saw CenturyLink has now rebranded to Lumen, which is interesting. Uh, it looks like they're they're trying to shake the old CenturyLink uh, brand uh, and kind of come up with something new. Uh, they I think their slogan is uh, platform for amazing things. So we're, we're definitely looking forward to, to seeing what that uh, you know, brings to the, to the ecosystem. I haven't quite figured out the, the component of their consumer and local services. That looks like that will still stay CenturyLink. So it's interesting. Who knows where the, where the companies go and if they spin out or if they continue to just focus on one piece on the enterprise, which is Lumen, which we've seen many organizations do throughout uh, the history, you know, they, as they have different kind of focuses and objectives on one business segment versus the other. So uh, many of you have probably received a lot of LinkedIn updates. Uh, they've got, you know, 25, 30,000 employees that will all be updating their LinkedIn to Lumen. So we'll have to stand by and take a look at that. They're actually one of my business partners uh, on the, uh, the the corporate side that I work, and, and many of you know, I came from CenturyLink, so it's a little near and dear to my heart. So we'll certainly be watching that here on the Solutions for Customers podcast and see how that that impacts future customers. Um, today, I'm really excited to bring on uh, a special guest. Uh, his name is Jay Hanley. He works for Thrive Networks uh, outside of Boston, and uh, I'm going to have Jay introduce himself. But we we actually got acquainted here several weeks ago, and he lives in the same town that my grandparents grew up in. And I was telling him about how my grandfather and his brothers, uh, they were World War II veterans, had a, had a street named after him. And lo and behold, Jay drives down the street one day after work and takes a picture and says, hey, I found the street and sent it to me. So I thought it was, it was pretty cool and a little nostalgic. Uh, I know my grandfather would have got a kick out of um, speaking with somebody from his hometown but I uh, wanted to welcome uh, Jay Hanley to the show today. Welcome, Jay. Hey, thank you, Gary. Thank you. Glad to be on. And uh, it was really fun going down there to it's just right down the street to take that picture. So I walked by it all the time, and uh, now I have a connection to it. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is great. Um, and and I'm sure uh, one of the hundreds of cousins and second cousins I have, being from a, a dual Irish Catholic family, <laughs> would appreciate that too. They'll, they'll get a kick out of that as well. So We're, we're very similar in the backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> can, can relate, can relate. So, so, so tell the audience a little bit about Jay and you know, how you got to thrive. You know, how did your career start? A little bit about your, your educational background. When we, when we chatted, it was, it was really intriguing to me because I think you will resonate with many viewers who are looking to get into solution architecture, sales engineering, sales consulting, because, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you did not go to school to become a CIS major. You went in for a whole different kind of focus around economics and oh, finance. Correct. And, yeah. I, and I think that's interesting because I get a lot of questions. Hey, how do I get into this world? I, I love it. It looks interesting, but I don't have that background. 
So maybe you could just walk the the, the listeners uh, through your background and a little bit about um, you know what you're doing today because Thrive's an excellent partner of mine uh, on the business side. So I think it would be great for everybody to just kind of hear a little bit about you and, and what yeah. you're doing and how you got there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a, it's been a long journey, and I, I think um, you know for those of you who think that you have to be studying computer science to get into this field. It really isn't like that at all. Uh, my background was um, I studied finance and economics in college, uh, but I naturally gravitated towards um, you know computers and uh, applications. And at the time, um, I needed to get my resume out there, and and the technology at that time was either um, typewriters or um, you know doing a Mac and Word Perfect application, so uh, I gravitated towards uh, the Word Perfect. Um, and then at the time, I uh, after college, I graduated and I was working um, at a financial firm in Boston doing uh, mutual fund accounting. So I was putting my degree to work. I was making great money uh, at the time, and um, you know, one of the things that I was looking forward to is spending my money on a new car. Um, and, <laughs> Which is, I mean, I never had a new car, so that's 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 the point of, of uh, the work. So, but but that was priorities back then, right? I mean, it was nothing but you need to get the new car because I can relate back in those yeah. days as well. That was oh. the number one thing that was important to me. Exactly, that was that was the freedom. That was the freedom right. of not re- relying on someone else's car or your parents' car, but having your own automobile. So, um, I was working and saving up for um, for the automobile for the for the car, and I was working at the at Brown Brothers Harriman at the time, and they were going through a, uh, mm-hmm. a a network transition, going from green screen terminals. Hopefully, people will know what those green screen terminals were to a PC-based uh, network. Um, and so that was my first interaction with a local area network and some technology people. And I was naturally just curious about it, so I ended up just talking to some of the people that would come in and, and replace the PCs and setting up cabling. And I was more interested in that than doing the mutual fund accounting, which at the time, nothing against mutual fund accountants, but for me, it was data entry. It was just basically you, you take a sheet, you put in some buys and sells and quantities, and then you move up, excuse me, move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I took that money that I was going to use for a car, and I said, let me invest that in, uh, in a certification program. And at the time, it was uh, Novell was the big uh, local area networking. Uh, this is before Microsoft uh, became like the leader in, in the networking platform. Um, and I took nine months off from work and I, I took nine months to study and I went to classes. Um, and at the end of it, I, I had a certificate um, that I passed an exam and I was a, what they call a Novell certified network engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took that and um I basically started building the rungs in my ladder to success. Um, my, my first job of actually using that experience, if you looked at my resume, it was, oh, you, you are a mutual fund accountant who now has this IT certificate. Um, I realized that no one's going to hire me based on those credentials, and I needed to get um, more experience. So I took a, a, a summer internship at the, the MBTA to get more experience. Um, basically build up my experience so then I could go to the next step, which was to work for a, uh, a law firm in Boston. And from there, that was a great experience. And I just learned so much there about 
processes, organization, um, troubleshooting, and learning about IT. Um, and so once I moved on from there, I then moved into a, uh, a banking uh, environment, which was 24 by 7, more security focused, more regimented about change control. Um, and during that time, it was around Y2K. Um, so we were doing a lot of interesting upgrades, keeping things up to date, and uh, we got through uh, Y2K. And then I built on that experience onto um, a network manager job um, with a, a financial firm in Boston and a hedge fund. Um, and that was another experience. I just kept on building the experience of you know working on no no longer so much hands-on, but now I was managing people and processes and budgets um, and just getting more and more experience towards you know whatever my ultimate goal was. I didn't have an idea as to what my ultimate goal was, but I just wanted to keep on learning. Um, and then from there, um, I took that experience and moved on to doing some IT consulting within the financial firm. And the IT consulting was based towards startup hedge funds or startup financial institutions and how to build a IT program and a IT security program. Um, and then taking that experience, I then moved on to a small MSP where I, I knew someone that I had done some consulting work with uh, and I was working with their consulting team. And from there, I was exposed to um, the whole journey of a MSP, which is the uh, business development side of things, like how to gather clients, how to how to get uh, opportunities in, uh, onboarded, uh, project management, product and service knowledge, uh, implementation, and ongoing support. And that was a lot for me, and I wanted to basically um, carve that down to maybe a couple of different areas, and that's where I joined um, Thrive Networks as a uh, solutions architect, teaming up with the salespeople, um, where I do enjoy the, the hunt and the chase of an opportunity, but also bringing all of my experience together to basically say, um, I can provide a solution for you. I don't feel like I'm selling a product. I really just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm selling a service. And with the, the portfolio of products and services at, at Thrive, I can bundle what I think are some great solutions for companies that need help with IT um, management or IT services or security services. So I'm basically taking all of those experiences that I've had up to now to basically talk to different audiences. I can talk to a you know help desk coordinator. I can talk to an IT manager. I can talk to a, a senior level uh, CFO. I can talk to um, anyone that, you know, ha has an impact into the solution. So, um, and that's where I am right now. So that's how I got to thrive. Um, and it was a long journey and well worth it. That's great. I, I mean, there, there was a, there's a lot to digest there, which I, I love because, you know, many times some of the individuals I've coached over the years and, and still kind of mentor today in kind of our practice of, of pre-sales and even in customer success, a lot of folks just figure feel that they have to go learn all this technology, which isn't necessarily, the, you know, um, a bad thing. Yeah. However, I really like the fact that you didn't necessarily have a plan just yet. You just wanted to keep learning. I, and I wrote that down because I think yeah. that's important. And I, I feel that some of the best 
solution architects are those that understand the inner workings of business and, and the ability for you to continue to, to learn everything that you did post-college, you know, and you kind of realize, hey, you know, getting into fund and cost <laughs> accounting is probably not for me, but when I see a lot of pre-sales teams succeed, they come from different backgrounds or they've been exposed to different aspects in business, not just technology. I always talk about how to build the watch. So if you go into a meeting and you have the CIO and if the CFO is at the same table and you're a solution architect and you come in and you say, hey, this is the best watch that we offer, it has all the you know latest crystals and dials and, and it's you know hand designed and we've spent hours building this watch and it's great and this is why you should buy this and we'll solve all of your problems. And the CIO's nodding, says, Yeah, I understand it, it technically works, and you know, you're moving all the gadgets inside, but the CFO's shaking his or her head saying, But you didn't explain to me how to tell time. Yeah. And I think that's really important because because we have so much um, you know, at stake in some of these opportunities when we speak with customers. We, we don't get a lot of time. And we do have excellent technology and we do have great solutions. But if that can't relate into how it's going to solve a business challenge, that's where I feel many solution architects fall short because they don't understand what's on that CFO sheet of paper. And in this case, he just wanted or she just wanted to tell time. Uh, we wanted to talk about, you know, how, how right. we, we launched the, you know, version two, it's an MVP and we've got all these <laughs> other product roadmaps going along this watch. CFO's like, great. How do I tell time? Right. And yeah, yeah. Th those solution architects that can walk in and say, okay, first and foremost, do we all agree that the challenge is you need to be able to tell time, tell time to your employees, to your customers, to your, to your end prospects. Is, is that the, the business pain? Yes. And then being able to then wrap our solution around that because now we're all speaking the the same proverbial language of solving that challenge. Exactly. And it, it's, it's funny, not every opportunity you go into is there, you know, it's uh, it's sometimes it's adversarial, um, which is not a good feeling, which is say, you know, why am I here? That's one of the questions. Like, why are, why are we engaged with you? What is the problem that you're currently having? And I just had a, you know, a, a short, uh, training session with some uh, new sales team members. And, you know, the, the main takeaway was we're selling a solution to fix something that they're having difficulties with. And that's why we're engaged. We're not selling products. Uh, we're selling services. So in the end, you know, the first thing we need to do is as a you know sales and sales team, what problem are we trying to solve? And then, you know, once you do that, then you can say, okay, well, here's my tools that I can do. Um, you know, the, the, another analogy that, you know, I like to use are, you know, if you're into construction or something like that, before you just start building something uh, like a new addition, like well, what's the point of the new addition? Are we trying to create more family room or is it a, a new office space that needs to be quiet or is it like a new kitchen? And depending on what that environment is, you're going to pull in different tools. Oh, I need to pull in a plumber. I need to pull in a, a sound designer. I need to pull in a, uh, you know, a special, uh, uh, you know, designer for soundproofing or something. So you need to have a plan and 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 what you're actually trying to fix. And and, and that's part of the sales team. Yeah, I and I agree. And I think that also comes with the preparation, right? And sometimes, <laughs> you know. And I'm sure this has happened to you in the past. It certainly has happened to me. Hey, Gary, I need you on this call right now. The customer wants to talk immediately. 
we have to demo XYZ or we, we have to design something and they need a price tomorrow. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, I get a lot of questions on why they need to, <laughs> to meet immediately. And what ends up happening, right, is that the sales professional was able to finally get somebody on the phone and wants to, what I call, th- you know, show up and throw up, right? You just yeah. throw everything against the wall. Yeah. And then you, you often confuse the customer because then marketing has nomenclature for your product. So if you're selling a widget and that widget is known as, you know, a service in the industry, but they call it, well, no, it's not, we don't call it the widget. We call it, you know, galaxy. And the customer's <laughs> like, I have no idea what galaxy is. I just, I, I need the widget, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And, and so that puts a, you know, a burden on, on the pre-sales team because we're not allowed to to fail. We're not allowed to make a mistake. We have, you know, one shot and, you know, that sales team's looking for us to, to almost be a, a genie at, you know, on, on moments notice. So, so what, what steps do you take? Um, or have you learned to take over your career? Again, if, if I think of somebody that might be looking to get into this line of work, what do you take when you, when you are preparing with sales and, and kind of what methods do you use? Sure. So f- for me, like, I think you nailed it with, with the salespeople. Um, they're, they're not thinking as a solutions architect and in, in my role on one side, I have the sales team bringing opportunities. I'm building a solution and then I hand it off to the implementation team. So um, it's kind of like a, I'm in the middle of a, a sales and implementation sandwich, whereas the salesperson has questions and then the implementation team will have questions. So that's going through my head, which is what questions do I need to ask to be, uh, to make the sales and create a quote and proposal and a solution. And then the details that are going to be needed, uh, which will be like the big picture um, and some other fine details that the implementation uh, team is going to need. Um, For, for me, um, you know, going into a role like this, um, I'm looking at how can I easily uh, make every opportunity an easily repeatable process. So I'm big with uh, if I come into an opportunity and I don't have the right inventory or the right questions, I go back to the next inventory, the next opportunity and make sure that I have these questions because my big thing is the the what ifs um, like as to what comes up, Um, you know, people will will ask questions and um, I think I know what they're asking or they think they know what they're asking, but I, I can't take anything for granted. I have to confirm with them what, what they're asking um, and making sure that what we're answering for is, 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 is a fit. Um, So like, I think going into it, I've seen, I just want to be as efficient as possible and not, um, have each opportunity be like, Oh, Jay, what inventory do we need to have for this? Oh, this opportunity, let me just pull out this, you know, uh, manage, uh, SIM spreadsheet and give that, give that to the, the client. Instead of me asking a ton of questions, I can easily move the process along by, Oh, we've already been in this scenario before. Here are the questions that you need to fill out. Here's the, here's the requirements for this service of information that I need to have and everything else is, is, is gravy. So, um, you know, I, I really just try to be as prepared as possible and see, um, I guess, common processes along the way of each opportunity. Mm, I think that's that's really important. And it's hard, I think, for sales teams to completely comprehend 
that aspect at times of, of the preparation. You know, a lot of times I, I've coached my teams to even take it a step further. You know, so you, you've prepared everything on the, the technical aspects and, and kind of, you know, what's on our sheet of paper to, to ensure that we have a good understanding of the customer's environment, problems they're trying to solve, how can we solve them. Sometimes I, I, I do coach some of the teams to go a little further, meaning go investigate a little bit more about the company. Did they just yeah. go through an acquisition that the sales team missed? If they're a publicly traded company, get really... Um, well-versed, and you probably appreciate this with your business background, go go read some of the SEC reports quickly. Exactly. Like you don't have to go through you know, 100 pages, but if you see that there's leadership change, if, they're, if they are looking at um, you know, some of the capital changes within their environment, like is that going to have an impact, yeah. positively or negatively, based on this opportunity? And you'd be surprised when an SE or an SA asks those types of business questions it always generally sparks a kind of almost like a hint of a smile from the customer, even yeah. if it's a negative, because you've taken the time to understand their business a little bit further. Yeah. And it separates you from other account teams that are simply just going through their process and looking at that. So, you know, do you, do you ever take that approach? And, and, and if you don't, it's not a bad thing. I'm just curious. No, no absolutely. Uh, particularly in, you know, the, the people that we see and the opportunities that come across, you know, the, the, the first thing I do is when the when the, the company comes across, I do a domain lookup. I look at, you know, on a technical side, I look at what email platform they're on. Uh, are they using any email services for scanning? Are they on Office 365? And then I do a deep dive into LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's their what's their industry? What's their vertical? Do I have any connections to them? Um, cause that's a, that's a speaking point right there. Uh, mm -hmm. if you find someone, Hey, I see that, you know, you know, Joe Smith and Joe Smith and I, we, we play on a hockey team together or we share a, we shared a ski house, uh, so many years ago. Um, I think, you know, people shouldn't be surprised as, as to how small of a world it is because I mean, Gary, look at you and me, we're totally random. Uh, and I live right down the street from where your, your family grew up. You mm -hmm. know, you just don't know, but you don't know. Yeah, but you ask the question, oh, where do you live? It's just, it's just a more personal approach. So, And then, you know, as I go into it, I just do a search on the company to see what, what's going on. Uh, if it's a, a startup company looking for, um, do they get new funding? And that's what's prompting um, this, this, you know, opportunity reaching out for, for us. Are they, are they moving? Uh, are they expanding? So I can quickly put together, oh, they just received some, uh, you know, $100 million of new funding, uh, they're building out their offices. I put one and one together. Um, they're expanding. Um, and then I'll, I'll look at the solutions as to not just a one-time, you know, product or solution, but just try to make sure I get in with like the COO or the CFO and the IT manager. And we're on the same page of this solution is going to help you get to the next level of, of your IT um, uh, maturity, I guess is what it is. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And, and I think the advantage that folks getting into our craft now have over what we had, you know, even 10 years ago is the is really the invention of the CRM. I, I, I can't stress enough if you if you are in SASC leadership to ensure that you are placing information critical to the pre-sales function in, 
you know, if it's Salesforce or HubSpot or Constant Contact, whatever it might be, or even something homegrown, because if you, Jay, are not on the account and a year later, one of your peers uh, happens to go back into that account, you lost an opportunity or it never went anywhere, at least that new SA or SE has a little bit of background on what you talked about. Right. Uh, early on, uh, probably 10, 15 years ago, we, you know, you appreciate this. We had to build it kind of on a client server environment. We had uh, like a restricted access directory, but we saved every customer profile that we had a conversation with, put the PowerPoint up there that you, even if you lost, like, what was it that you talked to that customer about? Because if it's a, if it's a service that, you know, in a year, two years, three years comes up for renewal and you're back out in front of that customer again, they meet with so many different vendors. They, they're not going to remember you, but if you remember them, you say, yes, I remember last time we were here, you had these five locations that were coming online and you were, you were evaluating, uh, you know, this Microsoft solution that we didn't win on, you know, where did that go? And immediately the customer's like, Hey, you're paying attention to my business. And again, you know, we can be as smart as we want, but how do you separate yourself from the pack? And I think that's, that's really important. And that's why I'm impressed with what you've done just, you know, in the, the time frame of your career of thinking a bit about it differently and preparing differently and coming with that business aptitude. Yep. Um, and, and yeah. I think too, like as a solutions architect, you, you're really impacting an organization, you know, like in the end, you're not just moving on. I mean, you're hoping you know, as a solutions architect with an MSP, you're hoping that it's a long-term, you know, partnership and we're going to be that solution provider. And a key thing is um, building trust uh, mm-hmm. really. And that's the key thing, which is we want to be like, there's that term, the, the your trusted partner, uh, mm-hmm. which gets overused quite a bit. It but, really does. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have to be that guy. Um, you know, the other thing, the other term that gets used a lot is the holistic view of things. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I, I use that term, but I always use an asterisk because I don't have a better term to use for it. But, you know, we're in here, we're brought into an opportunity for a particular problem, but we have to look at the whole ecosphere to see, to understand the business. Where are they going? Are they scaling up, scaling down? Um, are they acquiring? Is there a big security push? Um, did they have ransomware? You know, so it's, it's a big solution to look at. Whereas, um, you know, some people just come in, it's just like a, you know, a one hit. And uh, that that's not as an MSP and working for an MSP, you're looking for long term relationships and building that trust. And, and that's something that I hope comes across genuine, no matter what my audience is, it's either the, you know, the, the help desk uh, administrator, the IT manager, uh, the director of IT, you know, your CISO, CFO, COOO. It's it's really we put a lot of effort into the solution and understanding the business, and it is that, that trusted partnership that we're looking to get at. Yeah, I agree because those those relationships you build now could help you into the next account. Yes, because that person may move on and and oftentimes are elevated someplace else. They may be a manager of IT today and then become a director or VP someplace else, and they remember your brand because. You took the time, you, you delivered a quality solution, you respected their business, uh, you didn't overstep, and that's what they need. I mean, especially in today's world, I mean, you can appreciate this just, I'd say, in the last 10 years, with the amount of companies that have popped up on, on within the tech ecosystem, you know, there's more VC-backed organizations, they're all trying to compete for the same customers, and these customers are product fatigued. 
you know, they, they know that you've got a service or an offering. That's great. But to your point, you know, some of these terms that get overused, I I watch these account teams, they go in, they say, we want to talk to you about cloud and digital transformation. And I actually did a podcast on this earlier on where it's just buzzword soup. The customer's like, okay, you just throwing a bunch of buzzwords. How are you going to help me? (laughs) You haven't even asked me what my, what my problem is. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's important. And I think, you know, some people would argue, and I think some of my peers in the industry have argued, well, that comes with, with experience and over time. I, I don't disagree, but I also think you, you, based on your personality, you know, you, you kind of inherently just know that, like, you, you know, like I'm not going to just go and um, throw out a bunch of buzzwords if I can't right. back something up. Like I don't have to, like the customer doesn't have time for that. They, they hear these words used over and over. What, what are you going to do to uncover what I have an issue with? How quickly can you solve it? And then how would you go about doing it? And that's really what it comes down to. And I think a lot of organizations still are missing that because they're brand new. They've just popped up and, and they're, they're just fatiguing a lot of these, these companies. So yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and so that kind of leads me into what, what you guys are doing at Thrive because you have you know, a, a really interesting and deep portfolio. So you as, a, uh, as an SA, walk me through kind of a little bit about what Thrive is offering today and then how do you try to become that, um, yeah, as you said, trusted partner and, yeah. and that expert across a bunch of things because I think some SAs struggle with you know, their SaaS startup and it's just one product. How, how are you doing this across yeah. multiple products? Well, it's, it, it, it's funny. The, um, you know, one of the key things that I would tell SAs and sales people too, sales professionals, is to um, understand the products and services and what problems they solve. Um, and, and that's going to be key. So if you can, you don't need to know the details of the products and services, like the fine granular as to what platform or what, what operating system this is working or the, all the bells and whistles. But if you understand what, what the problem it's solving is, um, you could easily, you'll, you'll be more successful. Um, so at Thrive, we're, you know, traditional MSP, we can manage, you know, your, your infrastructure, your uh, hardware that's on, on premise. Um, but, you know, we're getting into, is <laughs> another buzzword, the, the next gen of everything. Uh, so next gen AV, next gen uh, yeah. cloud, um, next, next gen uh, email security. So all of this stuff is, it's really taking the onus off of the on-prem devices and leveraging more of the cloud. So in, in this particular environment that we're in right now with COVID, the, the traditional brick and mortar, you're on premise and to get to your PC, you have a badge to get into the building and now you're at your PC and now that PC is connected to your local area network and you're using your, your, your traditional uh, on-premise active directory. What we see is, and what we've been seeing for quite a few years now is that work environment is now moving outside of your protected brick and mortar. And everyone's using more cloud applications, more cloud. Uh, when I say cloud, it's just basically anything that's off-prem. Um, so it could be Office 365, AWS, Google, or a private cloud that that, that you have. It, and um, it's good. And I don't mean to interrupt you. It's, I'm glad you said that because there's so many people that just throw cloud out there and don't really explain that back to a customer. Is it public IaaS? Is it private? 
Is right. it hybrid? Is it just a SaaS solution? Is it a pass solution? Like it is, oh, it's cloud, 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 cloud. And, <laughs> and I think even like the customers are like, yeah, okay, pal, I, I get you. Everything's cloud. Um, yep. And, and to, to your point, I mean, I think, and, and, and this is one of the reasons why we founded Macronet services was to kind of help with that solution journey, because I think even before COVID, a lot of organizations were starting to do more remote. Yeah. So yeah, let's, let's dive into a little bit of that because I think COVID really forced folks like, Hey, if you haven't even thought about this now, now, how are you going to protect your endpoints? How are you going to, you know, continue to utilize these work assets and with the quote unquote cloud, uh, but also on-prem like, yeah, let's, let's dive a little bit into that because I think that my guess is that's probably where you're spending a lot of your time right now with customers. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because you have the people with the, that have, you know, uh, um, a long-term investment in on-premise infrastructure. And those are the people who are, who are struggling with this work from home type environment. The people who were, you know, the, the, the more newer companies that embraced, you know, Google or cloud computing or office 365 for their productivity platform. Uh, those are the people that are thriving because they already had a work from home, uh, you know, um, uh, plan in place. Uh, whereas you had the people who, hey, we're going to VPN in to our data center and we're going to run the applications from there. Um, and those are the people now that are struggling with this, what the work from home used to be maybe a week off on vacation or a snow day. Now it's a permanent solution. So we're seeing a lot of people moving from on-prem to, hey, we want uh, cloud-based. But with the cloud, it's it's easy. It's very easy, um, but it, it's very difficult to do it securely. And I, I think I talked to this about you, but early on when people were on Zoom calls, um, you know, there was a glitch. There was a there was a bug mm -hmm. because Zoom was insecure. Um, you know what? Um, it, it was just used inappropriately. Uh, it, it wasn't that it was insecure. It was just that people were were doing it and sending out the same. Um, uh, Zoom info and with the same information, and then the people who had previously been on that Zoom meeting were hopping back onto it. So it, it was a learning experience. It wasn't. Like it was a glitch with Zoom, but it was a problem with the way people were implementing it. So uh, it's similar and, to adding password one two three for every single online account that you have. It's, it's actually more my fault than the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, and, and part and part of this is it's an education right. as to here's the pros and here's the cons. And, and this is the value add that thrive can do, which is, you know, how to get to the cloud, but just as secure as you had with an on-premise environment, you know, the, mm -hmm. the same issues you're going to have, which is, you know, where's my data. If it's not in the data center, where is it? How do I control it? Um, how do I control who has access to that? So, you know, this is where we're seeing a lot of, uh, multi-factor authentication uh, for cloud-based computing. So if you were already in an Office 365 environment doing Exchange or Teams or one of those things, the next version is, okay, how do we do it securely? And that's what people are calling us about. Like, how, how do we implement this and, and be truly mobile? Um, so we've been busy with that. That's great. That's great. And so where, where this is changing so much and so quickly do you find now in this, we'll kind of call it, whether it's temporary or permanent temporary uh, remote world, are you finding customers are more apt to have 
deeper or even more frequent conversations than they did in the past because they're not in the office and they're at home? Or do you are you finding them fatigued because they're on Zoom calls all day long? So it's harder to have, you know, an architectural discussion around anything that you're providing at Thrive and, and just in your daily world. Well, we're we're seeing people want to talk. It's it's the coordination of everyone's schedules seem to be so difficult right now because, you know, uh, we're, we're at home. Uh, there are multiple, uh, individuals in the family. Uh, you know, my, my wife, I have three kids and you're trying to figure out your roles and responsibilities at home and then your roles and responsibilities at work. And it's a fine balance. And everyone is on that same plan, which is, yeah, I have to, you know, be on a, a Zoom call with my child's school, or I have, um, you know, I have to take someone to the doctor or, or something like that. Um, it's it's blending in, but I think people are more flexible as far as like start times and end times now, um, mm-hmm. which, which is fun. But we're seeing like a lot of engagements, but people are really sticking to the, it's a one hour call. I have to get off at one because I've just jammed my day with, with everything. Um, yeah. So people are like I have a hard stop. Like I've heard that now like a bazillion times now. I have mm-hmm. a hard stop at this time, and it's like, oh, okay. We're used to just be, uh, you know, we're gonna hang around the the office. We're gonna be, you know, talk small talk after the meeting in the office, and 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 that's it. But now it's like I have a hard stop. Um, yeah. So well, I think that's it. That's that's actually a really good point for anyone in our roles to also just be mindful of the ever changing schedules. I've always ask the question at the beginning of a meeting, just want to confirm we have 60 minutes or, yeah. you know, do we have time afterwards? Because the customer, if they, if they haven't communicated to you that they have a hard stop and then you're in the middle of something really important for next steps or the middle of a demo and it's, you know, you're at 59 minutes and they're like, yeah, I got to go. And you haven't been able to set the agenda for the next meeting or what the next steps are. That can be uh, a, you know, a downfall of the account team at times. And, and really your, your sales professional should be teeing that up. Uh, you yeah. shouldn't have to, but it's always good to, you know, to play, you know, the back and forth role. If they miss something, you, you fall in and, and help out there. Um, I, I actually, it's funny because I'm finding, um, even, even less time I'm finding customers say I have 30 minutes yeah. uh, because they, they have to go in between meetings. They need that 15 minute bio break or something like that. So, right. <laughs> You know, my recommendation for anybody, uh, you know, on the SA side, like ask the customer, you know, how much time do you have? Or if you have 30 minutes, you have to do that quick mental math because if, if the sales team brought a 60 page PowerPoint that they want to share over Zoom or WebEx, you're not going to get through that. And if you have to do 15 minutes for your demo or design, you got to play into that. So that's where you have to think on your feet and say, hey, you know, um, Mr. Sales Rep, Mrs. Sales Rep, we're going to have to pivot quickly because we've got that 60 page PowerPoint. The, the customer has 30 minutes. Why don't we just go through the salient points uh, for the first 15 minutes? I'll, dem- I'll demo for 10, and then we do next next steps for five minutes. And yeah. I do think that that can be difficult for a lot of essays at times because they don't want to be the one driving the sales meeting. But the really strong essays that, that can put that aside and not have that insecurity, the customers like that too because they see that you're taking charge. Plus yes. – you generally have all the answers, right, around the, yeah. the technology solution. And it again, it elevates you a little bit differently with the customer. So I think that's great that um, you, you brought up that point because I, I, I do feel that everyone is, they're, they're actually working longer because 
they're not moving around. They're, they're, they're in one spot of their house and they're trying to get all this work done, but they are getting backed up into a bunch of meetings because somebody can't just walk by your office or your cubicle and have a quick question. They, they're putting time right. on your customer's calendar. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it, which is like taking charge of, of the call. Um, and I think being being the professional, I think it's it's also, um, that's the key thing, which is, you know, you're prepping, uh, you, you're going to be professional as far as like, um, you know, keeping the, every, everyone on time um, and having an agenda. It's it's more upfront work, uh, but I think more people appreciate that. Like when, when, when you see an agenda, you're like, all right, someone's really paying attention instead of, you know, shooting from the hip. Ah, we'll just shoot from the hip. Um, I remember a while back, I, I attended like some management seminar about sen- setting uh, up meetings. And one of the things was to, to set it up at like three or three minutes past the hour. Uh, and, and that basically meant that it would give time to any meeting ahead of that for a little leeway if it goes a little late or if people are running late. Um, like they're used to a traditional like starting on the hour type. And if it starts at like three minutes past. Um, I thought that was a neat little trick. Uh, I can say, I honestly, I don't do that, but it's because Outlook doesn't do it in three minute intervals. So, right. um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, coming, coming from years of experience selling in New York, for example, you know, there, there is something called the New York minute. There's been many times where sat down with a customer at their office, they literally pull off their watch because it took you five minutes to get through security. And by the time you get up to the whatever floor, you're already 45 minutes you, you have 45 minutes left, so you're 15 minutes already in the meeting. They put their watch down. Okay, you have 45 minutes because they'll, they'll yeah. tell you right up front, like, I don't have time to go past one minute longer. Uh, and I and sometimes I can kind of appreciate that because it, it also forces us to be really tight, crisp, not waste time. Right. Um, but then, you know, many times I've I've supported the, the southeast of, of the United States, for example, and they want to just get to know you for the first 30 minutes and then spend the next hour, hour and a half talking about your business and, and their business so you also have to kind of understand the different kind of cultures and environments as well. And I think that also resonates based on the vertical that you're trying to sell into, um, you know, whether it's a nonprofit, financial services, um, technology companies, insurance, they all have a little, you know, different quirk about them. And yeah. I think if, if you can also have exposure supporting all of those different verticals, it also allows you to become a much uh well-developed and, and, and deeper background, uh, SE as well. Yeah. And I think it, it all goes back to like your points right there are get to know your customer, get to know the opportunity and, you know, and you, you need to be able to pivot, uh, quickly, uh, with, you know, the different personalities or the different industries and the different concerns. And it, it, it's really getting to know your, your customer, not just showing up and, and being this guy, the sales guy. Um, I, and that's the reason why I really enjoy being a, a sales uh, or solutions architect where I'm part of the sales team. I'm part of the whole product and, you know, the, 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 the hunt, the, the creating a solution, the winning, the team atmosphere, but I'm not the sales guy. I'm, I, I don't, I, I like being still technical and digging into some of the details. Um, and I enjoy that. Um, so it, I think it's really just you know making a connection to uh, your 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 clients and your opportunities and just being genuine. I guess is the big thing. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. You get to you get to step in a lot of different areas, but not necessarily have you know the the core quota on a monthly basis that's hanging over your head. 
uh, you're viewed as uh, that that partner that will come in and, and solve or save the day for the customer. Yep. And then you still get that team camaraderie environment because you are helping the sales team achieve that quota. And then you get, you constantly get to learn. And I think, you know, you nailed it right at the beginning of the podcast, Jay, that our role as SAs, we never stop learning. I mean, you talked about, you know, the early days of Novell, but that was definitely a foundation for your networking background. I mean, yeah. most organizations probably don't have Novell in line in their network today. Never. Yeah. <laughs> unless, unless it is some sort of, you know, green screen, MS-DOS environment in some bunker, maybe with the government that we don't know about, but most likely it's not there. And, but, but that was the foundation for you to continue to learn for future technologies and control your learning curve. And I think that that's really impressive. And, and, Quite honestly, you know, I think that's also areas that many essays fall down on because they're just focused on this piece of tech and they don't really look at what the bigger picture is, layer one through seven, on how that can be a foundation yeah. versus them just trying to understand some buzzwords and kind of fake their way through it. And I think that that could be a disservice to the sales teams too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just you know, when you're talking about experience and knowledge. It, we're, we're in the end, we're problem solving. So your ability to, you know, the tools that are in your tool belt, which are, you know, your products and services that as a SA you're selling, but also your experience, you bring that to the table. So um, it's key to bring that to the table to solve a problem and just keep on like learning, be inquisitive. And, and one of the points I, and I, you just brought it right back to my memory, which is, you know, you really have to put yourself into uh, the business, and and what, like once again, like what problems are they trying to uh, to solve, and you need to put yourself in those positions uh, with solutions. So instead of just like really just selling products and services without any type of um, knowledge as to how the, how it's going to be used, you need to figure out: it, Do I sell you know a Ferrari type solution to someone, or are they okay with you know, a regular, you know, GM Chevy uh, product that's j- just going to have a long lifetime for them. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, that, and that's what you need to, to figure out. That's, that's the value add. Yeah, that's that's great advice. So can't believe we're running out of time here. What, um, you know, kind of final thoughts, what, what, you know, what, what key advice would you give to anybody in the SA role today? Um, you know, we already talked about kind of getting into it, but if you're in the SA role today, what what are the one or two one two things that, that you would give as nuggets for anybody in 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 our roles today? Uh, you know, the common theme is stay up to date with technology and solutions. Um, that's key. Do a lot of research and reading. I think my wife makes fun of me because I don't read a lot of books, but I do read a lot of articles, a lot of how-to uh, type things. I, I, I do read a lot of tech notes. Um, I'm still the guy that uh, will read the how to install something and the tech notes if it's like the Xbox or something like that. But I, that's part of my preparation. Uh, right. Two, you know, here's the lead in preparation. Uh, when you're having meetings with people, uh, get to know the company, like really bring something to the to the company because uh, they want to know that you did a little research and, and, and you spent some time and effort and aren't just walking in off the street. Um and, and three, I think when you're dealing with the sales team, you have to really kind of moderate them a little bit. Um, they're not sweating the details like you should because you're accountable now to not just you know the, the sales account team, but the people downstream from you, which are going to be the, 
the, the onboarding, the implementation, and then the service delivery folks on a day-to-day basis. So sweat the details. I love it. I love it. Sweat the details. That's exactly what we always have to do because it, it comes down on us. You can make you can make a slight change, you know, positively, negatively on the price, but man, if you screw up that network, there's nobody right. else to blame. You're it's a lonely room that you're in. Exactly, and it's all going to come back to well, you know, we that that SA Jay Hanley, he he told us that this would be fine, this would be great, it would be perfect, and then it's like, oh man, we that's your name, you know, it's it's your name and your reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. You know, so anybody wants to to check out Thrive Networks, it's thrivenetworks.com. Uh, if you want to connect with with Jay online, uh, looks like his his handle on LinkedIn is JJ Hanley three, yeah. um, and you, you'll see that he's uh, one of the premier solution architects at Thrive. Jay, this was great. I I want to have you on the show again. I feel like you and I could we, we could chat for hours just being yeah. uh, local Boston guys and, and talking exactly. tech. This was this was fun. Right, and hopefully people can understand our accents on the uh, the East Coast here, and uh, you know wh- wherever the audience goes, hopefully the the accents aren't so bad. I, I tried to pronounce my R's. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> funny, and I digress, but I've been asked a couple times to do a Goodwill Hunting episode. So if I ever do that, I will pull you in, <laughs> and we will actually chat in our our Massachusetts accents as a as a as a gaff a little bit and have have some fun but I, I've been asked that a couple of times so I, exactly. I try to pronounce mine as well <laughs> I would love to be part of that that would be great <laughs> awesome awesome well Jay thank you so much have a good rest of the week and you, uh, be safe you bet you too bye bye thanks take care Chunkin hair.